0: The Edifice Complex podcast is brought to you by DCM, The Drawing Specialists, Blue Rhythm Commissioning Software, and Sensor Suite, The Future of Intelligent
1: Buildings. Welcome to the Edifice Complex, the property design and development podcast. Let your hosts, Adam Muggleton and Robert Bean, keep you up with who is innovating and doing great work perspective on the adjacent possible, and challenges to the status quo.
0: Welcome to the Edifice Complex. I'm Robert Bean, your co-host and unofficial mediator here again with my colleague, official agitator, friend, and Yoda, most everything to do with buildings, Mr. Adam Muggleton. Say hello, Sir Yoda.
2: Hello. I like to think I'm like baby Yoda nowadays, right? Like the Mandalorian. (laughs)
0: I wish I <laughs> Adam, today's guest is a professional engineer. A professional engineer. He has a bachelor of science in mechanical engineering from the Polytechnique Montreal, and a master's in building engineering from Concordia University, both well-known schools. She is currently directrice de raison physique, and I think that's the person in charge of buildings <laughs> at. Uh, College Cetite, which is a college in, in, is that in Ottawa? Yes, it is. Yep, yes. it is. So welcome to the show, Madame Lanchi Nagoen Weeks. Well, thank you very much for having me. I can't read all the things that you've been involved in. I'm just going to read some of them because it's pretty impressive, right? You've been president of Ashray Ottawa chapter, yeah. and also the Ottawa region chapter for the Canadian Green Building Council. You've been an editor of... Recognition and Evaluation of Control of Indoor Mold book, which was uh, published by the American Industrial Hygiene Association. You've been chair of its Indoor Environmental Quality Committee. You've been secretary and chair for the green building uh, working group of that organization. Of course, you're heavily involved in ASHRAE, member of the ASHRAE Minimizing Indoor Mold Problems through Management of Moisture and Building Systems. It's a position document that the ASHRAE have published. You're also current chair of TC1.2, uh, Moisture Management, Building, and Vice Chair of the Environmental Health Committee. Lanchi, you, you've managed to squeeze 30 hours out of 24.
3: <laughs> I don't sleep. You know that.
0: <laughs> yeah, I know that. <laughs> Tell our listeners how you've managed to work time and how did you get to where you are today?
3: My parents were immigrants. So, you know, they went to Quebec at the time because they thought that was a good thing. They speak French, but they really didn't really factor in the snow factor there and the coal factor coming from a warm country. So I grew up in Quebec, did my degrees in French, you know, learned to speak French like a good Quebecois. I had the opportunity to move to Ottawa to work for the federal government. And you know, the rest is history. It's all this stuff that you were talking
0: about. Yeah, you know, we look at our forefathers, and mine came from uh, the UK, so Scotland and England. And I often tell the stories that they weren't that smart. At least I didn't think they were that smart because they could have gone to mm, the Caymans, Bahamas, uh, Florida. (laughs) You know, they could have gone to Australia, but they chose northern Saskatchewan. (laughs) And for those of you that maybe don't know where Saskatchewan is, just take a map of Canada and take the middle of the country, go north. And it's one of the coldest places on the planet. But then I started thinking here with climate change as a consequence, well, maybe they weren't that stupid. (laughs) It just took a hundred years to kind of sink in, you know? (laughs) Yeah, exactly. I
3: volunteered throughout the years because I had the opportunity to, but I wanted to because I was curious about all these people doing different things. And it's been great over the year. I've been more than happy to be involved and, You know, I own my own company, too, for 22 years doing consulting work and doing research, apply research. And and eventually I had enough of that. And I became director of physical resource, you know, for a college, a French college, nonetheless, in an English province. So um, (laughs) it's interesting. You know, I work in French all day long and then I go home and try to translate in my head what's going on in English. So,
0: yeah, that's the day. And it's been interesting because I think out of one of the things that you have that a lot of engineers don't have is not only do you have the academic experience and working with researchers and developing policy and codes and standards, yeah. but you also are a practitioner, too, yes. in the application of the knowledge, and not only in terms of new buildings, but also existing structures. And that mm-hmm. makes you a pretty unique person. Well, I hope so. That's why would they pay me the big bucks, right? <laughs> Finally, Adam, we found an engineer that's making big bucks. <laughs> Ching. Ching. It's <laughs> <laughs> cheaper for- to hire me than to hire
3: me as a consultant,
2: you know? Well, you should be earning big money. You're making me feel quite lazy. I felt quite shabby here in your, all your work, <laughs> the committee work right out. You're like the... Uh, sort of like perfect Canadian immigrant, right? You come here, you speak French and English, your family reinvents themselves. This is like, there should be a TV advert for this. Come to Canada, you can do this. this one. I wanted my old TV show, okay? And that, if it was up to me. So what I'm interested in, a couple of things really. One is, what's it like first off, let's start with your current job. So you're director of, if I was in Lebanon now, could say director of physical plant and resources, Right. So what's that like? I deal with a lot of French speaking people when I do work in, uh, in Lebanon and the director of physical plant resources is quite a prestigious job and quite powerful within AUB, the American University there where I do a lot of work, but it's a very male world. It's a lot of male people there and it's a, I'm trying to think if I know of any ladies in that role or around that role. I don't. So what's that like? That's fine. They work yeah. on me, so I don't care. <laughs> right on.
0: Yes, i exactly right, right? <laughs> yeah. You fire the same way as anybody else. It <laughs> <You're done.
3: laughs> just worked for me, so it's fine. It's an interesting job because of my background, especially with COVID also, you know, they, they put me in charge of making sure that all the environmental hygiene measures are being in place. So the fact that I understand ventilation and the impact yeah. of ventilation on virus, and so on. So that's been good. We have been working indoor air quality and so on. But also the fact that, meanwhile, building has to be maintained. You can't just close down a building and expect that everything's going to be fine. And, and thinking ahead also, as defending in my position, I have to think ahead, what's going to be the new actor? What's going to happen to all the space that I have? Do I need to replace the ventilation system? Do I need to improve the filtration system that we have? like any university and colleges, you're there for the next hundred years. So the thinking scale is much longer than, well, you know, it doesn't matter if it's fine for the next three years or so. You're thinking in terms of 25 years or 50 years. So what is the pandemic going to be? Are there going to be more pandemics? Or is like, how are we going to be resilient with climate change and everything? So it's not a matter of just renewing the resource. You have to almost peer in the crystal ball and say, you know, what's the, worst case scenario that we're going to be faced and how are we going to take care
0: of that? Really glad you said that, Lanchi, because we're trying to get people to understand within the circle that I work in, and there's about 50 of us around the world, different professions. We have epidemiologists that are working on our team. We have virologists, we have physicians, we have economists, we have lawyers, we have engineers. And what we're trying to do is we're trying to get people to understand is that vaccines are good but it's like whack-a-mole you know if you can't get your buildings prepared for not uh, fix them for this pandemic but future pandemics the vaccines aren't going to help us you know in terms of transmission rates we need to get our architecture and our mechanical systems set up anticipating that this isn't the first time it's not the last time and as viruses come and go we can develop vaccines and that will deal with that particular one but My God, if we at this time don't get our buildings fixed, this go around work. Well, I want to use a expletive deleted, but you know what I'm talking about, right? Yes,
3: absolutely. And again, nobody has money to put in a system that is going to be questioned two years down the road. This system supposedly lasts for 20 years. We're on the 30-year cycle now, and God forbid that we're not going to get money to replace them for another 10 years because we are public servants, basically. We are a public service. So you have to be very careful with the money that you have and and how you plan for the future, not just we're going to save now. Well, that's nice, but it's not going to last you 25 years.
2: That's interesting because I do a lot of work with universities and the campus model, the whole long-term thinking. I mean, basically everything's done on a life cycle analysis, right? 20-year life cycle of a plant, blah, blah, blah. But going back to your original point, there were so many good things to unpack there. So there's like the long-term view, right, which, you know, If you're in the speculative building business, forget that. You're unique already, right? But then you said, you know, do we have to upgrade the plant and do we have to change filtration? Well, the answer to that, in my opinion, is yes and yes, right? So this is sort of like a a black swan event, if you like. So, well, some people would say no, right? Yeah. (laughs) So, you know. You've got this 20-year life cycle plan, you're budgeting, you have money, you manage your money, all of a sudden you've got this out left field event. So that involves a capital injection, right? And a rethink about how you do things. How does that happen? Is there politics involved in that or do you go to private funding or? There's lots of politics, really. I think that
3: I have a really good relationship with my VP finance and we understand each other. So, you know, the the honest truth is the cost of risk. What's yes. the cost of risk? And we always work on that. So well, how much is a lawsuit going to cost you? Or how much, you know, yes. reacting costs you versus being proactive? That works every time.
2: Look, if <laughs> you was in the room of heartless lawyers, they would say to you, how much does a young person's life cost? What will we have to pay?
3: Yeah. So that's how we justify a lot of what we do. And we committed to providing a good environment for learning. So... Obviously, that's part of that. And you're right. I mean, you have to justify, you have to figure out a way so that accountants understand what you're babbling about, right? I mean, how much is it going to cost me, right? Well, no, it's, it's going to cost you even more than this if you yeah. don't do this. Oh, okay. The insurance are not going to cover you anymore. If you're going to have another flood event because you didn't plan for it. Oh, oh, that I understand, right? So yeah. you have to almost translate it into their language. And, and for them, it's the cost of risk.
2: So that's interesting. The insurance angle, I, I've always been thinking lately that that's the angle to go, right? So yeah. let's say, and in my opinion, you know, there needs to be a real rethink about, let's just take schools and colleges and universities, mm-hmm. right? How they're ventilated in terms of safety and delivering indoor air quality and actually meeting building code ventilation rates because none of them do. Let's be straight, right? So if that becomes an insurance risk item, the money can appear at that point, right? Because people get sued or people get shut down. That's what needs to happen. That's how significant this event is, in my opinion. I would love to see the building code change so that, I don't know, dedicated outside air systems with uh, heat recovery, a really basic code for public buildings, right? With mer 13 filters and UV. I go into a nerd rap battle with someone on... Uh, LinkedIn the other day. So some politician in uh, New Zealand said, we have to stop staying at these hotels with subpar ventilation. So things like that drive me nuts because that's performative political bullshit, right? Subpar, what does that mean? Should, what does that mean? Could, I should be a billionaire and married to Beyonce. I'm not, right?
0: Oh, look what
2: she's missing, out! Oh, she doesn't even know. She has no clue what she's missing. If only she knew. But should, could, subpar, all these things that are nebulous, bullshit stuff, right? What we have to say is the cost of not doing this is modeled out at X lives of people below 25. Their lifetime potential earnings are X million. Therefore, we either pay that out in a lawsuit or we insure it and then we fix it, right?
3: And if you have a good relationship with an accountant, what it does is it allow you not necessarily to go and borrow money too much. Yeah. So, so you don't have to go and get financing. If you explain to your boss that, you know, they're hedging their bets here. So if they say you're going to save $500,000 in energy, really... You should be able to save 800000 but they just want to be on the safe side. So that kind of numbering, you know, they understand. Yeah. is say, like, oh, wow, well, if that's the case, I can borrow my own money. <laughs> you know? yeah. I don't need to have somebody else lend me the money. So I think it's the relationship and how you have the conversation is to explain it in the language they understand.
0: There are so many things here. Man. I just like this conversation has got me pumped up here. And you know what? Blanche, you're going to have to forgive us, because when Adam and I get this enthusiastic about a discussion, this is going to bounce around.
3: <laughs> hey, I'm here. <laughs> Where
0: else to go. Come on. <laughs> so I asked a question, you know, a pretty blunt one. And that was, is that in a life death scenario, like a pandemic, yeah. those that are creating minimum requirements, in fact, should they be the authority? That was one question I want you to think about. And then the second thing is, when you look at the code in Canada, our codes are written to minimize risk of illness. That's the short strokes, right? So the codes are there to minimize risk of illness. And we have people who are the authority writing those minimum requirements that clearly are not competent. (laughs) They don't have the capabilities to do what is necessary. So when it comes to risk assessment going forward, are minimums enough? We're talking about a continuum, planning for the next 25, 50 years, and however many pandemics that represents. Are the minimums enough, and do we have the right people in charge to recognize that they're not?
3: Well, first
0: of all, I think the co-people are about 10 years behind
3: on the latest data, so that's first thing. So what is minimum when you're 10 years behind? right? So that's one uh, thing. Good question, right? Well, from what I can see anyway, they're 10 years behind. Never mind that when you talk about new material and, and, you know, green material, they have no idea what you're talking about because they haven't got there yet. So I think that's, that's one thing. I think the other thing is, and we talk about that also, why are we accepting minimum standard? Would you accept that, oh, it's, you know, the surgeon that has passed who's going to operate on your brain? Not the best. The one that have passed, right? right. So, so what are we breathing? What are we ingesting? Would you accept that it's good enough? Or are you going to accept if I can buy for the best, I will buy for the best?
0: Yeah. Applies to anything, waterborne, airborne, foodborne. Anything. Anything that the human is exposed to. Yes. We're talking about health. And so that brings up another thing, you know, in terms of health and safety, like, we have not yet used the courts, our laws on our continent, in the United States or Canada. And even those in the UK, anywhere where it's sort of, I guess, orthodox race has existed, we haven't tested the laws yet. Health and safety laws, labor laws, corporate laws, civil laws, and then, of course, criminal laws. You know, I'm convinced that until we start to apply the laws and start to test them in this pandemic against people who are, have basically ignored their ethics as professionals, are we going to learn anything out of this? I think that maybe some of us will, not all
3: of us. I have to tell you this because that was very disheartening. So I was dealing with some people, and I'm not going to give you too much details because it's going to tell you immediately who they were. But anyway, they were in position of power, right? And they were going to make decisions about what the college is going to do. So I said to them, well, you understand that we ventilate, right? And this is what we're doing in terms of ventilation. As opposed to PPE because they keep harping about PPE, oh, PPE, we don't have enough PPE and people were not wearing proper equipment, and blah blah blah. You know that we're ventilating. You know that I have a software that can calculate the risk based on the efficiency of your mask and the ventilation that I'm putting in this room, right? And they look at me and they say, "We don't understand anything of ventilation." So, we can ignore that. And i am say, what? You are people who make decisions and you don't know. Go and get informed. Yes, It's not because you don't know that it doesn't exist. In the yeah. hierarchy of control, ventilation crime over personal protective equipment, right? So if you ignore ventilation and keep harping about personal equipment because you don't know anything about ventilation, that's not good enough. And they drop on the floor and I'm like, I'm not backing down on this. You don't know enough to make the kind of decision you're making, go and get informed. Because, you know, apparently they were like, oh gosh, no, look, I take my profession very seriously. You know, we all do. And I'm insulted when somebody say, I don't know anything about it. Therefore it doesn't
0: exist. Are you kidding me right now? (laughs) (laughs)
3: <laughs> not, a t-
2: ah, t- politician
0: <laughs> Absolutely, I got ah, tus yeah. on my spine when you say that kind of stuff because you're absolutely right people don't know the obligation of a professional engineer or a technologist anybody an architect interior design the number one is the health and safety of the people that we're responsible for in our buildings that means as soon as they step inside of our buildings there are responsibility. And we work with the tools that we have, our understanding of physics and chemistry, building materials, airflow, all of these things. That's our area. But we're not so arrogant and narcissistic like a lot of other professions that we don't. I mean, we know there's a role for the epidemiologist. We know there's a role for the biologist and the industrial hygienist. All of these people need to come together in an integrated team. But these, there are some people out there outside of our profession that it's like, nope, if it doesn't sit inside my helmet, My space shield, it doesn't matter, you know? I'm like, hello.
2: (laughs) (laughs) You're right. People don't understand. Licensing really was about health and safety originally, right? And then the competence to
1: ensure that. The edifice complex will continue in just a moment. Can you find the drawing and supporting documents you need in less than a minute? Now you can
0: with Echo. It's simple. Just type what you're looking for and press enter. Echo knows your building. Speak with a drawing specialist today. Ask about our special offer of painless onboarding, plus six months free with Echo. Visit podcast.thedsoffer.com. That's podcast.thedsoffer.com.
1: And now, back to the show. So licensing
2: is also about accountability. So until someone does a perp walk and loses their license over a poorly ventilated system, but yeah. right. Every professional engineer that signs off on a VAV system in an office yeah. knows that the minimum outside air in the mid-range is never going to be there, which means that building does not meet building code for ventilation. The consequences are zero for that.
3: Yeah.
2: So life is about incentives and disincentives, right, yeah. and accountability. Yeah. And this is, unfortunately, the argument for lawyers. Until there's a, a sharky lawyer comes in and sues an engineer and gets that person unlicensed, everyone's just going to carry on doing what they're doing, right?
3: Yeah, having the minimum doesn't help either. You know, having a minimum standard is not helping because you're just lowering the bar. So I always find it really interesting to live on the minimum standard. You know, from a hygiene, industrial hygiene point of view, you go with the stricted rules. If there are competing rules and you're not sure which one should apply, you go with the stricter one just because you err on the side of caution. You know, if it looks too strict, that's too bad. But at least, you know, I took the best decision I could take and I protect you as best as I could. I don't see why we're not doing that. Because ventilation, if you look again in the hierarchy of control, prime above personal protection equipment.
2: HVAC is the game of no consequences, right? Yeah. The HVAC guy, girl screws up, someone gets hot, someone gets cold. You know, the PPMs go up a bit, no one dies till now. If you're the structural guy and you screw up, and something falls down, big consequences, right?
0: Yeah. Yeah. There's an axiom here developing. There's a principle, and that is is that the minimums become maximum. And it doesn't matter if you're in the healthcare profession or the building sciences, whatever. If we set the minimums, industry, society will treat that as the maximum. And that's why the pandemic is continuing to spread because the minimum healthcare requirements for PPE and building ventilation, all these types of things are treated as nothing more than the minimum. What, anything beyond that is not in the budget or it doesn't matter, it doesn't work. It's not inside my space helmet.
2: <laughs> From a solutions point of view, how do you feel about a performance-based building code, not prescriptive code?
3: Well, I think the performance is something interesting because I was involved with the performance-based project. And I have to say that the responsibility on the builder side, you have to get them into the game also because they operate on the minimum performance. Oh yeah. Yeah. So it doesn't matter unless you write this airtight, which it's never can be done, right? You can never write an airtight specification. You have to work with somebody who has that same mindset because otherwise they're going to say, well, you told me to do this. I've done it. It's the minimum of what we told you because we didn't caught this. And, You're doing the minimum. You have to find somebody who's willing to go the extra mile. And I have yet to find a contractor that's willing to go that extra mile, even if it's going to cost them, I don't know, they work on the low price also, that's going to cost them, but they're going to deliver a better product. And I think we have to change that game. You know, at the college, we have a policy that we're not necessarily taking the lowest price, because if it doesn't do what we want it to do, it doesn't give us what we need it to do. We're not taking the lowest price. So there's no incentive to bid on the lowest price. So I think that's where the yeah. difficulty is, is. You get what you pay for.
2: Yeah, I mean, the problem for all contracting, everywhere works worked in the world, and i worked in 21 countries, is if you're a contractor, the only thing you're incentivized to do is cut corners and cut costs. Mm-hmm. That's the only way you get paid, right? Mm-hmm. So if I was, say, king of your university, putting out a contract, the way I would hold the, account, the contractor accountable, I'd say, okay, design and build, just says so design and build, just to keep all the liability in one box for a minute, right? Design build contractor, you're going to design this, and the air leakage rate for this structure is going to be X or Y or better. If it's not, you pay me. Sure. Like Mafia style, right? Pay me, boy, right? <laughs> the temperature range is going to be this, and we're going to monitor it for a year. If you go out of range, you're fine is this, this, and this.
3: There should be a penalty. That's the thing. The difficulty that I have is that once they disappear, try to get them
2: back. Again, the accounting thing, right? I'm a big fan of project accounts where the money is put in escrow and it's taken out by a third party like a child surveyor might value it. And then there are what's called a pool of fines and incentives, right? You beat this benchmark, the incentive money comes out, right? And if you don't, part of your contract is you pay back into that fund. And if you don't, you can be sued.
3: You know, I think that the way we construct is really problematic also, because I heard at one of these building science meetings that the lifespan of the building is 18 years. What the heck? You know, like, what? Uh, You know, you have buildings that we have in town that last for 100 years. And I'm sure at the time they were like, this is way expensive. But... That thing is still standing and working, right? We think the short terms and it's not getting us anywhere in terms of saying to these people, you have to build really cheap and it's fine, you know. But really, my new building, which, you know, has been signed before I get to the college, the bathroom leaked seven times. Seven times. I'm like, rip it all off and redo it.
0: Yeah. Because
3: there's no way that within six months,
0: It's leaking seven times. Come on. Yeah, that's crazy.
2: So where I come from, that would be called a latent defect. So one of the things I found when I moved here, right, in Canadian contractual law, and this tells you who pays who in the government, right, after 12 months, a contractor can walk away from that building, and 12 months plus one day, if that thing falls down, no consequences, right? Whereas in the UK, there's a 12-month defect liability period and a 12-year latent defect period. Ah, there you so go. you're on the hook for 12 years.
0: Yeah.
2: Right. Now, I assumed that was everywhere, like an idiot. I come here and I assume that's the case. No, no, no. 12 <laughs> yeah, year in one day, man. Yeah, that thing it. can fall down. Go no, out
3: of there,
0: right? Yeah. So,
3: so I think that that's the thing that we, we have to, you know, engineers are liable for at least 10 years on some of the, yeah. you know, some of the drawings and what we think. The contractor should be too, you know, yeah, like anybody involved should be too.
2: Engineers get away with murder here because they. Well, tell me the last time an engineer got delisted. You got to be a crack whore. You got to be a pedophile, and you've really got to screw up on your calculations before they take your license off you. (laughs)
3: I'm I'm not sure
0: it's the. Terrible. We delist a few
3: people,
2: you
0: know. Part of that has to do with one of the obligations of a professional is when you see one of your sorority or fraternity members not behaving properly. You need to report it if there is wide-scale abuse going on well that says something about the individual and his or her characteristic but it also says a lot about the people that have to play in that field if they're not saying anything that makes them just as guilty yeah yeah you know and we know here in alberta like when i was a member of a Pega, every month we'd get the publication and it had who's been good news but naughty and nice it was like santa claus
2: so ten most wanted
0: yeah, we have that too you know <laughs> yeah you know every it would come and you would see the people that were getting their hands slapped and some of it was you know some of it was negligence but some of it was outright fraud and just you know people stealing other people's stamps and faking someone's signature on a drawing I mean that kind of stuff was shocking but you know what no profession is immune but we have to say that you know Fortunately, that a high percentage, likely over 95% of all professionals behave, I think. Would you agree with that? You think? I don't know. I, <laughs> I know I behave. That's all what I can say. I know. But, you know, when you think about it, right, what's a loss of license worth the risk, right? I remember early on in my career, we were working on a district energy project in uh, eastern Canada. I want to kind of say exactly what project it was on because then people could follow it up. And I remember we provided a specification and a tender to build the uh, substations for that district energy system. And I remember getting a call late at night actually from the project engineers telling me what the price needed to be. And that if we were successful, a certain amount of money needed to be siphoned off and mailed to their account. That call lasted less than, I think it was 45 seconds and I hung up and we, we, we pulled our, our tender. I, you know, it does happen. Like the pandemic right now, people are saying the doctors are forging death certificates to get uh, remuneration on COVID deaths. And I, heard, I saw there was a program here recently. And so you get a lot of people talking about, yeah, 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 COVID, half the deaths are wrong deaths. And I don't know if it's half, but to get wide scale corruption in the medical industry were to have any kind of consequence, it, it would have to be a complete collapse. And I can't see that happening in engineering or in the medical field.
3: Well, I mean, you know, anything is possible, mind you. But I think that for those of us who think this is our profession and who invest not only in our work, but in our volunteering to make the profession better, we will not tolerate that kind of thing. I go out with people at conferences and so on, and I pay for my own drinks and I pay for my own food because nobody's going to be ever able to say, well, you know, I took you out once. I don't care. Like, I know you. That's fine. But as a public servant, it's important to me that I pay my own things so that nobody can have ever hanging things on me about that. So it's just these little things that it's either you get it or you don't. Yeah.
2: I'm still 40 years into my career. I'm (laughs) old. But I've been on all sides. I've been client side. I've been a developer, a chart surveyor, I've been an engineer. I've seen it from all sides. And the conclusion I've come to is the reason the results are so poor Is all down to the owners and the clients because they let that happen to them. You get what you demand, right? I used to work for a company with a company called British Land in the UK. They got great jobs. Do you know why? Because they were ferocious. If you did a good job, they paid you on time. They treated you well. If you screwed up, they were just like, it was like being mauled by a tiger. You know, one of the largest, I can't say what I mean, one of the largest construction companies in the world screwed one of our jobs up. They went off the tender list for five years. Every year the managing director would come and kiss the ring and I was saying no, right? So there was consequences for bad work, you know? You've yeah. got to be demanding and make sure they deliver.
3: And for us, you know, when I was a consultant, we would have a contractor and i say, you know what? We're not inviting you to the job showing. Yeah. That's it. You know, there are consequences to what you do and, and – Unfortunately for me, I guess I'm a hard person because once you've done it once, it's going to take a heck long time for you to get back in my good grace. Of course, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Because you know the trust is gone, right? So what am I
0: supposed to do? Yeah, you know I just want to give our listeners some like the the scope of what we're talking about here. And if Chris Mathes, if he ever listens to this bargain, he's going to give me hell because I got to screw up the statistics. <laughs> but maybe Lantry, maybe you you know what they are, and maybe Adam, you know what they are. But there's something like in in North America, something like 70% of all of the buildings are under 25,000 square feet, which means almost all of them are excluded from the requirement of having a professional engineer. And so you get a lot of buildings that are designed actually by non-professional people that don't have a secondary degree or training in the sciences. And so that sort of tells people that you know, we're not talking about the high rises and the hospitals and You know, these big institutions where there are professionals involved and there's obviously some big stakes. We're talking about the strip malls and, you know, and there's just hundreds of thousands of these things that bad buildings, bad operation, poor indoor environments, people get sick, people get stressed. That's the kind of buildings we're talking about. And there's lots of them.
2: Someone in your position is actually in a position to affect a change, I think, with attitude, with procurement, with demands, hire yourself the meanest lawyer you can find. You know, it's just really, it's the only way. Someone said to me once, managing contractors is like having two angry Alsatians. You just got to exercise them real hard and keep them tired.
3: <laughs> <laughs> um, and I think it's like anything. I think it's one of the things where you have to start from the beginning and say, you know, these are the new standards. This is how we're yeah. going to look at things now. Nothing wrong with what my predecessors were doing. It's just that that's not the way I do things. So... I was his way and now this is my way. Get used to it because this is what I would like to see, right? Obviously, it's all within the responsibility of the public money and so on. But I think it's really not a service to the public if you are not using the highest standard. You know, you're not looking forward to things. You know, you were talking about these strip malls, Robert. How many of these strip malls do we see just abandoned? They're just literally the landscape because they're not being built correctly, they're not being operating yeah. correctly. What's yeah. the impact on the environment of these sort of abandoned buildings, right? So to me,
0: that's not saving any money there. No, and to some degree, there's an ethical challenge there, you right. know, because as stewards of Earth and the Earth's resources, we really need to dig deep into our ethics here and ask ourselves when we get clients that want to build these kinds of buildings, you know, how does that sit with us? Because you know, even if you take an office, let's just take one office and one office tower in one city block, and let's just say a third of that office is unoccupiable because of bad indoor environmental quality, bad noise, bad temperature, whatever, right? Yeah. And, you know, so and let's say that that square footage is $250 a square foot to build that particular area, but because two thirds of it is only can be used, all of a sudden it's no longer $250 a square foot, it's like 200 or 268 or $270 a square foot. Because the other third, you can't you can't use it. But the resources were still harvested out of the earth, right? So you've got issues with, you know, materials that we've taken out that can't be used. We've got capital tied up in spaces where the spaces can't be used. That's one office and one office tower and one city block. And then you grow that up. Well, how many offices, spaces are like that in that building? How many buildings are on the city block, yeah. Right. How many blocks are in the city? How many cities in the state or the province? How many, in, And you just keep going and going and going. And all of a sudden, you're looking back and you go, holy crap. Yeah. What have we done to the earth and to capital, the economics of this, by not putting our foot down and saying to the client and the architect, this is bullshit. Yeah. You know? Like, we really need to think about this.
2: Yeah. Adaptive reuse is what you need, right? Yeah.
0: With the college, I started a program. It's
3: called Space Optimization. And I say, you know, before we build anything, first of all, (laughs) let's look how we use our space. Is this really the most efficient way to use our space? Don't talk to me about new building right now, right? I mean, because not just new building, it's the cost, the tying cost of building new, but also the maintenance cost for the next 25 years if you're lucky that it's going to last 25 years. So I think that that's something that people have to look to. It's like, because there's sort of idea that we need to build. We need to build new. We need to build more. We need to build bigger. And it's like, why?
0: Yeah. Just just why?
1: The edifice complex will continue in just a moment.
0: Adam, it's time to thank some people who are on our side. Blue Rhythm
2: Commissioning Software. Blue Rhythm is the commissioning software I've been looking for. Most projects I consult on suffer from poor information and document management. Frankly, it's just chaos out there. Blue Rhythm removes this chaos. It is a secure, always available cloud solution designed to work on any computer, tablet or smartphone. Their Android and iOS apps allow seamless transition between online and offline work. But what I like most about Blue Rhythm is their painless and fast onboarding process. That team will bring all your existing forms and checklists into Blue Rhythm for you, or you can use or adapt their pre-built, pre-functional and functional performance test sheet templates. But it's more than that, it enables collaboration, automation, and easy planning and project management for all your projects. Blue Rhythm provides amazing support from a team that really understands your industry. To find out more, go to bluerhythm.com or call Country Code Plus 1 612 460 8305. Also, you can hear from Blue Rhythm President Andy Martin on episode 26 of the Edifice Complex podcast. Robert, Robert,
0: are we there yet? I'm bored. <laughs> Adam, well, it's hard to believe, but the future has finally arrived in Canada. How's that then? Well, smart remote building and equipment management is now available from Sensor Suite. Go on. Sensor Suite. Yep, they're an innovator of smart building technology. We like them. They can monitor, control, and optimize anything in your building, saving you time
2: and energy. You mean Suite are moving Canadian buildings into the 21st century? Yeah,
0: I know, another hard thing to believe, but they're doing it and they're saving owners money with efficiency gains.
2: Okay, I'm in. How do I find out more?
0: Got to go to SensorSuite.com or call 1-855-773-6767 and also check out the July 2020 episode of the NFS Complex podcast and listen to Suite CEO Glenn Spry.
1: And now, back to the show.
2: Going forward, let's say, go forward a year, hopefully everyone's been vaccinated and the whole thing, the temperature's gone down several notches. Do you think there will be a retrofit program at your college to change ventilation systems, or do you think it will quietly be forgotten?
3: Oh, no. I mean, it is on its way right now. Oh, good. I have hired a consultant to do a low-carbon feasibility study on all our ventilation systems. And recommendations have been made. So we just hired an engineering company to do the design for replacement. And I have told them, look, I want to have the ability to put MERV 13. I want the ability to do certain things. I'm not saying that I'm going to put MERV 13 all the time, but I want the ability to do so. I want you to give me Slack. And I know that they heard Slack. They're like, oh my God, you want us to give you Slack? Yes. Because if the outdoor temperature go up by five degrees C, I want to be able to provide cooling. So that's slack. Don't build to the, just enough. So I'm building in slack and abilities to deal with with the future, basically.
2: Yeah, that's good. I mean, mean, that'd be a significant project, right? Because you've got multiple buildings.
0: We're getting... On in the time, which is too bad, because I could talk with you all day. And you know Adam could too. I have a question for you. So, okay, you guys had out of a business. You sell it. You find a new job. You get this opportunity to apply your academics and your practical skills onto a building. Now you're sitting there as the head honcho with all of this. <laughs> with, all, with all of these, yeah, you know, and, and you have the wand. And so you have a vision for what you want to go, and then COVID hits. So tell us, you show up day one with your new dress on and you got your brand new briefcase. and like you're going to school for the first day. And then what happens? Tell us that experience that you went through. Over the years, my network is pretty large. I sort
3: of got a hint pretty early on in January that something was happening in Asia. I went to my boss and bang on his door and say, we need to activate the pandemic program. And he looked at me and said, uh, what is I'm leaving for Mexico. See you. <laughs> <laughs> and that was sort of, you know, mid-February. And I said, well, you know, I really, 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 really think that we should do this. So I'm going to activate it when you're away. I'm going to get everybody together and get everybody brief. So that if it's nothing, that's fine. But everybody will be aware. And from there on, I took over the COVID committee, if you want, and, you know, having the experience of writing standards and procedure and so on, having the experience in hygiene and understanding the ventilation and indoor quality. I miss COVID apparently at school now because they come to me and ask these questions. People were not understanding even the rating on PPE. What's the difference between different types of masks and so on? So, you know, we work very hard several months to make sure that everything is in place before getting people back. So for me, the pandemic has been extremely busy for that. Plus I have projects going on that I wanted to do. Plus I have operation and maintenance. So, you know, all of that get carried in the background in parallel with this whole COVID thing. But to me, COVID, it's just a blip and thing, right? I mean, again, going back to the long-term thinking, okay, it's a blip, we learned from it and that was great and we managed, okay. And then now what, right? So I'm already in recovery mode even if we're still in Ontario, you know, in confinement and so on. Yes. We have put in place procedure. We know they're working. That's fine. And then I kind of give it to somebody else. You keep track of this now. And I think that owning a business teach you that Robert, right? I mean, you sort out something and then you give it to somebody else to do and you move on to look at the next thing. So I'm in the next thing I'm in recovery right now. So I'm looking at green recovery. I'm looking at the financial money that might be coming from the feds in terms of green recovery. What can we do to accelerate that? How do we bring the campus to low carbon 2030? What is it that I'm doing? And, you know, so the COVID is kind of behind me at this point
0: because we kind of control it within our college and it's good. That's where I am now. That's really refreshing because. For you, it's been a blip because A, you had the knowledge, you yeah. were prepared for it to happen, you were able to execute, and then you could move on. That's the yeah. difference between you and so blip versus bam. <laughs> because anybody that wasn't educated, wasn't prepared, yeah. didn't have a solution or a strategy, to them, this is like a crisis. So to hear that coming from you, an engineer, by the way, just had to, you know, people need to listen to that. That wasn't a lawyer that was, yeah. prepared. well, there we are some good lawyers actually out there, but, uh, you know, that's why it, it was, was the bullet. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know,
3: honestly, Robert, that's I was to good. learn like everybody else, right? I mean, it was new. So I learned. I learned really quickly. I read yeah. everything I could read. I talked to people. I listened to people from ASHRAE, from different organizations. Mind you, the real people, not, you know, the lunatics. You know, I'm listening to the yeah. National Academy of Science. I'm listening. And because of all the volunteering, I kind of knew who I should be listening to. You know, yeah. the industrial hygiene yeah. people, the National Academy of Science people, Ashley.
2: <laughs> yeah. So
3: yeah. so you listen to all these people and eventually you see the same pattern. You know, yeah, they're saying absolutely. the same thing. So yeah. okay, so if they're all saying the same thing, you can take that little piece away and say, okay, I think this is okay. I can go and use that piece. I can rely on that information and go and use it. Maybe not, but I think for me, as I say, it's a blip because right now I'm like, okay, well that's done. I mean, as far as I'm concerned, there's other things that needs to be done, and
2: let's move yes, on. I'd like all our listeners to take that on board. For me, that's the money yeah. shot. COVID yeah, awesome. it's put a blip in a building's life, right? That yeah. is so true. Each problem comes, we deal with it the best we can. Yeah. We adapt, we move on, and we look forward, right, to reducing energy get into a low carbon environment, but there's going to be two types of approaches and move-ons. There's going to be those that like went through this being punched in the head continuously and not doing the right thing. And then they're going to go back to business as usual. Yeah. And then there's going to be people who dealt with it, took a lesson and moved on and got better, right? That's really a choice. Everybody is really making right now. Are you going to learn from this, adapt and move on well and be better? Or are you just going to, hold your breath, take your punches, and then go back to business as normal, right? That's the choice.
3: Yeah, and the difference in that, I think, Adam, is have you learned? So did you listen to all what these people were saying about filtration, about ventilation, about this, about that? If you haven't learned, you're going to get punched in the head every time. The next crisis, you're
2: going to repeat the same thing. You hit one of my triggers there. Every time I see someone newly discovering mirth 13 uv and doas i feel like screaming for oh, god's sake it's been
3: around forever <laughs> you know what are you talking about filtration's been around for you know uv light's been around for a long time what yeah you know i hear this all the time This rotating things where people come back and say what about bake-out what do you mean bake-out bake-out it's like 20 years ago you are be here it's not new <laughs> Yeah, so, you know, the, if you've been in the business long enough, you're starting to see things being recycled, basically.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. you see that yeah. new idea come up every yeah. 20 years.
0: No, no. Hey, Adam, as old folks, are we recyclable? Well, we, we find right. it? I hope so. <laughs> well, I you don't want to recycle my brand. <laughs> My brain needs to go into a waste (laughs) dump.
2: All things in our business you can take back to Monty Python, the life of Brian. (laughs) What have the Romans ever done for us? Well, (laughs) plumbing, radiant heating, you know, aqueducts, (laughs) sanitation. (laughs) There's nothing new in the world. Everything's two thousand years old. Yeah. You know,
3: some some of their stuff is still holding. Can we say the yeah. same about our buildings? Mm-hmm. Oh, that's, that's I
2: gave a, a, good, a presentation uh, once about the benefits of radiant heating, and someone who was educated, as you know better, said, "This new technology is too dangerous. It's unproven." And my next slide was a Roman ruin with <laughs> radiant heating. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh. Yeah. Oh, nice man. Wow. What can you do? So look, we're so coming up on. Time here. We'd like to finish on some quick fire questions, if that's okay. One sure. from each of us. I'll go first, if you want. So, go ahead. There's a father of two daughters, one of them an engineer, I love it when I see women in sort of like boss jobs. There's no way to put it. As my daughter calls it, I want to be boss baby here. You know what I mean? <laughs> so, you know, what's your advice to young women, young know, graduates thinking about STEM? and leadership roles, what advice would you give them based on your experience? It
3: takes time. It takes time to figure out what you really like to do and to be really good at what you're doing. You have to work at it. You just have to work at it. Like, I didn't get to where I am by not volunteering, by not listening to people, by not learning. You know, it's all work. It's work to get to where you are. And you have to keep learning and you have to keep looking. You don't have to be a lot ahead of people. You just have to be a little bit ahead of people. And that's what I always say running my own business, right? I don't need to be a light year ahead of my competitor. I just need to be a little bit ahead of my competitor. And that's it. That's all what it takes. It's
2: like the bear attack. Just run faster than the other guy and you're all good.
0: (laughs) Yes, just slightly (laughs) faster. Just slightly faster. You know, I have so many questions that I, and, but I think the question that Adam asked was a really good question. I loved your answer. I do want to leave our audience, those that may be running universities or colleges, educational facilities with some of your last words of advice. And that's just take a hypothetical situation where maybe someone says, you know, you get a call, Lanchi, we hear you have it under control. Come on out to our college. And take a look at what we're doing, because we're not doing things well. What would you say to them? What's your advice I, to those?
3: You know, I'd be there anytime, because I think that as part of your profession is to teach the next generation and to help your peers. And mm-hmm. I don't think that it's confined to my institution or my province or whatever it's almost like a fellowship the engineering fellowship you know it's a responsibility that you have to give the knowledge and that's why i think volunteering is my way of giving back the knowledge right sitting on these endless standard writing (laughs) and hopefully make the profession a little bit better right by having put things down in standards having guidelines having procedure is to guide people say you know what This is how you should be thinking of doing this. This is what we've done before. So if you call me and say, come out and help us sort these things out, I'd be more than happy to do. And I will do it in my own time. You know, it doesn't even have to be the college time. Because I think that that's a responsibility that I have.
0: You know, other people have
3: helped me get to where I am. I need to help other people get to where they are.
0: I love that answer. You know, I was in Winnipeg for a building conference. And Professor Terry... I think is her name. She's a professor of architecture at the University of Waterloo, and she was up there talking about research work and research behind paid walls. And it was great because she said, We're trying to save the world, make your F and stuff free. <laughs> <laughs> and I'll never forget that because it's like you're saying we have an obligation to pass the information on and the knowledge, what we've learned so that people don't make mistakes or they facilitate whatever it is that they need to do. And if there's someone like ourselves around that we can share that knowledge, we need to share it. It's, yeah, it's so valuable. I love these questions. Why don't you, every time I talk to you, I get so passionate and enthusiastic. It's just <laughs> so good. Well, that's, that's hopefully, you know, invite
3: me back some other
0: time. Well, will, we will. Well, you know, every time, every time I see you and Dawn at the conferences and I always enjoy, and we, and we never get to talk, talk long because we're both, Got a million things to do on our schedules. But maybe next time we'll get you and Dawn on, and you guys can tell us what it was like to be a husband-wife team uh, during your your years. Well, he's laughing in the back, you know that, right? (laughs) And then also, joking aside, there's a lot that couples, you know, young couples that have come together that want to run a home-based business or they want to run a partnership, they want to grow the business. You know, we've all been Adam's uh, business. I've been in business. You've been in business. We have, other than just our academic and our practical skills, there is the business side of it. And we need to share that as well. And part of that is relationships, your own relationships with your partners, but also the relationships that you have with people, the Mm -hmm. soft skills. We've been talking for a long time
2: about doing a soft skill interview. Yeah, that's a
1: good
2: idea. Soft skills are the difference maker, right? Yeah. Yeah.
3: You need to talk with Don for that. I have no soft skills. (laughs)
2: engineers are notoriously notorious for having terrible soft skills there you go that's why architects get all the glory
3: that's right (laughs) that bothers
2: me architects get the glory you never hear about the engineer do you no so anyway maybe I'm going to change that one day (laughs) anyway just thank you very much for coming on it was a great interview really enjoyed talking to you very inspirational I love that engineering is a fellowship. That is so true. Send the elevator down and teach the next generation, right? Yeah, Yeah. absolutely. Well, thank
0: you for having me. Take care, both of you. How could you not get pumped up about these conversations that we had with uh, Len Chi? I mean, I always do whenever I see them because they're just, they love what they do. And she is just a firecracker. You know, she's, I just, I love her focus. But she travels through life with the logical mind of the engineer, but she expands and contracts to take in what is around her. And she uses it to her understanding so that she can keep moving
2: forward. And I love when people do that. She looks like she takes no prisoners. You know what I mean? Bandit the wounded, moving on. (laughs) And I love that. Whenever we interview people, I see myself, I always find out thinking, God, I wish that person was one of my professors or lecturers at college. You know, That'd be great. Looking like I really got something from that, you know, is one of my pet peeves. A lot of the people we interview would make great practitioner teachers, like clinical yeah. professors, you know, right. who go yeah. in and say, look, I know you've got the fundamentals locked down, but I'm telling you, this is how <laughs> it's done, right? Yeah, Yeah, totally. <laughs> that is one of the fundamental flaws in the higher education system. Yes, you need the fundamentals, but you also need the practitioner side. And any applied business like ours, the applied engineering we do, you know, that is what you need. You need someone to come in and not tell war stories, but say, that this is practically how you do it. You yeah. take these fundamentals and you apply them this way, and this is how you get that, you know. Yeah. None of that really happens unless you're in a sort of vocational school. That's why yeah. I'm a big fan of vocational schools as a foundation because you come out knowing which way around something goes. <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, affectionately,
0: you're known as Yoda because you have this like, you know, knowledge bank of yours and and have the power. But, you know, she also has this attitude, you know, not try, do. You know, I was Yoda, right? Not try, do. And, you know, no excuses, just this is it. This is how we solve it. Get it done and then move
2: on. She's the first person I've heard who's really gone, yeah, COVID, I'm over it. (laughs) That's a blip. It's so put a bit that, of the life of a girl.
0: <laughs> That is so profound at so many levels, right? Yeah, it really is and it's just and like I said, I got excited about that because it was the fact that she saw it coming yeah. early on. She prepared her mind to study what was necessary to react. Yeah. She developed the strategies and supportive tactics to make it to be able to pull the trigger and then said, okay. Here, yeah. Oh, yeah. Next, <laughs> what's you not it. to like about that? I mean, that's the way everything. That's the way it should have been run. And you know, they didn't run it high. They weren't freaking out, and you know, they, it was good. I, yeah.
2: you know, <laughs> I like that. Leadership takes many forms, and that was a classic leadership position and posture that was taken yes. there.
0: Yeah, it sure was.
2: Ninety-nine people out of hundred there would have sat back and let that whole thing roll over them. Yeah. So what I say to these, uh, people who saw work for me, you know, you can be a leader in anything you do, right? It's not about having the suit, and the haircut, and the watch and standing up and doing the town hall meeting. It's about leaning forward. I hate saying leaning in. It's such a woke thing. But leaning <laughs> forward, you know, seeing what's coming and preparing yourself, that is leadership yeah. at any level, in any field. That was one of the things I took away from interviewing her is that she's a leader.
0: Yeah, totally.
2: You know, as well as being inspirational and overcoming and learning French and moving from another country and all that stuff, you know, yeah. it's called that Tuesday. I just,
0: <laughs> I just, I'm looking at my notes, and you know, they talked about Slack. In my world, we would call that designing for failure. That you can design things the most perfectly the way that you can, but at some point, something might happen where you need some wiggle room. And I love that philosophy, you know, that, okay, we want you to design our system so that we can put in, you know, the MERV 13 filters or whatever it is else that they're going to do in the event that we need it, we have capacity to deal with. But we may not, you know, that's a really good philosophy to have in the design of mechanical systems.
2: That's where an owner and she represents the owner because she is the client, right? She's yeah. the head of the college and the physical plant department right So having a owner who understands or hires people that understand buildings and the engineering that goes in them is an unfair advantage, right? Because yeah. having her represent them and being involved in the procurement and setting the policy and the standards and writing the requirements for that, that's being written by someone who understands the benefit of. Slack, the benefit of building a bit of spare capacity here, dedicated outside air, or understand the benefit of a certain filtration system. Because one of the big problems is a lot of people to procure and even appoint design teams. To be fair to most engineers and design teams, they're so poorly briefed about what they want. Someone goes, oh, yeah, give me a old college building so I can put my name on it. Yeah, that's great. Good luck with that. You, know, <laughs> you need right. a design brief. You know, these are the things that matter to me. These are the conditions I want. I'm involved in maintaining this bill for 25 years. I don't want to see this, this, and this piece of rubbish equipment on there. Don't put it in. You know, That's yeah. really, if you're a 25-year lifecycle person, you have to write the best requirements document ever. or well, your design team are going to just pump and dump, you know? Yeah, totally.
0: Someone said to me, there's two things that a procurement agent should never be able to buy ever. One yeah. is toilet paper, and the other one is HVAC systems.
2: <laughs> <laughs> that is <most> true. <laughs> yeah, that right. is actually true. we got to finish on that, man. That is a great <laughs> <one>. <laughs> Yeah, that is yeah. true. That is true, man. Because again, consequences, right? I understand why procurement is a thing, but the problem yeah. is people procuring services and higher level engineering, not understanding what they are, and most importantly not suffering the consequences for their choice. Yeah, you know, right. I buy shitty toilet paper because it ain't my finger
0: that's going through it, right? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And that is one of the, actually, the flaws that we have in our industry is that we have people designing and building buildings that never have to occupy them. Yep, All the
2: incentives are completely misaligned. Yeah, totally. It's a miracle that anything gets built that stands out, quite frankly, because the incentive structures are so misaligned and the consequences are so poor. You know, it's, yeah. it's a, it actually fascinates me that things actually get done in it. You know, I'm 40 yeah. years in, I can still walk around a site and think, how is this ever going to get done on time, you know? And then somehow it does. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, 40 years in, I still walk around with my jaw on the floor Is what you should take away from this sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Anyway, man, we better wrap up. That was great. I, I found her very, very inspirational, man. That's a great story. Yeah,
0: Adam, again, you know, I really am enjoying this journey that we're on, getting to talk to some really great people, and maybe we'll be here 20 years from now doing the same thing, or maybe five years. I don't know how long this thing is going to last, this continuing on, but I am really grateful for it. Now, listen, our mission is there are
2: great people out there. We just got to bring them out and show them to other people, so other people know that there, right? That's our job, man. Yeah, that's it. It's very simple. Good work should be, <laughs> uh, good should be known about, right? Period. That's, that's right. Very yeah. simple. Yep. Yeah. Right, man. Take care. All right,
1: Alan. Man. Man. See You've been listening to the Edifice Complex Podcast with Adam Muggleton and Robert Bean. To access show notes for this episode, visit edificecomplexpodcast.com. Also, if you would like Robert or Adam to speak, teach, or consult on your project or business, please email admin at edificecomplexpodcast.com. See you next time.